That picture that's popping up on the screen, Claire's not here to take up for herself. That's what happens when you miss church. We talk about you. This is, this is our youngest when she was just a few years old. I know, it's so sweet, isn't it? Now, if you, if you were here last week, right, she, she, she has this, this wonderful, burgeoning, just lovely gift of spoken word that God has given her, and she shared that spoken word with us as part of our Easter service. What we did not know is that this gift of alliteration actually began early on when she was little, if you see that little phrase. So this sweet kind, gentle little Claire, when she was this age, if she wanted to do something, she would walk up to Vanessa or I, and she would point her little finger at us. And before she said anything else, this is what she would say, you no say no to me. And then she would ask for what she wanted, right? You no say no to me. And then she would ask for what she wanted, right? It's hard when you're a parent because you want to laugh. You're like, I cannot laugh in this moment, right? This is, this is a struggle of will, right? right here. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sharing that because in this series that we are beginning tonight, it's about this biblical idea called obedience. Now, when I said that word, something came to your mind. We like participation here at City Life Church. So when you hear the word obedient or obedience, what's something that comes to mind? Say that again. Dad with a belt, yes, I feel your pain, Matt. I feel your pain. Somebody else, the word obedience, when you hear me say it, what comes to mind? A word, a situation, follow, nice, follow. Somebody else, anybody? Stan. I'll be rewarded. You'll be rewarded. Nice. Did you have a birthday? You had a birthday recently, did you not, Stan? Yesterday. How old, are you? How old did you turn? 83. 83. Come on. Say happy birthday to Stan. I'll be rewarded. I like that. Somebody else over here, when you hear me say the word obedience, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Do as I say. Did you say that to your children, Ms. Floydy? Yes, good for you. Good for you. Anybody? Jessica. Safety. That's good. Somebody else. Anybody else? When you hear the word obedience, when you hear the word obedience, it's not a word that we tend to gravitate towards, is it? It might be a word that we want other people to gravitate towards, but it's not a word that we like to gravitate towards ourselves if we're honest with one another. The name of this series is called Shema. It's a Hebrew word, and in Hebrew, it's interesting, there is no actual word for obedience. It doesn't exist. And in and, and looking at the language of Hebrew is, is important because it is the culture that God chose centuries ago through Abraham to build a nation and a community and a culture through which he was going to reveal himself to us and through which one day he would provide for us a Savior by the name of Jesus. It's interesting to me, as central as obedience is to our relationship with God, that in this culture and in this community, he did not create a word for it. What The word he gave us is Shema. Shema means to listen or to hear. And in God's relationship and in his kingdom and in our walk with him, the idea of listening to him and being obedient to him are two sides of the same coin. The idea of listening to God and hearing from him and not obeying was a foreign concept. 
I've got a challenge coin here, one of my little collections I have up in my office with gifts that people give to me. If you're in the military, you know what this is. This was given to me by my good friend Jonathan Adams, retired Navy. He's taking me to my, uh, one of my first NASCAR races tomorrow. Yes, down in Martinsville. I've been to one other about 30 years ago. I told Vanessa just this weekend I might come home a redneck. Just, just be careful. And she paused for a moment, and she looked at me, and she said, don't. Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't come home a redneck. Yes, obedience, yes. And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, yes, ma'am. I listen and obey. Right, you understand the idea of a coin. There's two sides. Every coin that you've ever picked up, right, it likely has two different sides to it, but it's not two different coins. It's one coin. And, this, and, and that's the idea with Shema. We hear from God, and our heart is supposed to obey God. It's supposed to be one in the same. They're not supposed to be two separate things. So when Jesus comes along centuries later, and he gives us the famous Sermon on the Mount, he ends in Matthew 7 with these words, beginning in verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching, he's talking about Shema, and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears, he's talking about Shema, my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, not like their other teachers of religious law. To this uniquely Jewish audience that Jesus would have been talking to, he, they understood exactly what he was saying. He was giving commentary on humanity and how far we had drifted. Even these that called themselves the children of Abraham or the children of God, Jesus was saying to them, you have drifted. You've lost your Shema. We have inserted in between hearing from him and obeying him a moment of consideration, dare I call it, reluctance. This series is all about one thing. I want the reflex of my heart to be one of obedience to God. I want the reflex of your heart to be one of obedience to God. This, this, this gap that exists between hearing and obeying, let's close it a little bit. I brought this little patella reflex. Anybody been to the doctor before and you're sitting on the edge and they tap your knee, right, with this little hammer? You're like, where did you get that? So the last time I was in the doctor's office, nobody was looking. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Amazon, like everybody else. You can get anything there. You're sitting on the edge of the, and, and he comes, or the nurse, or who's ever's checking you out. They, they tap your knee. You, you think to yourself, I'm going to be the first person to not move. Right? I am not. And they tap, and then all of a sudden, your leg moves. And, you're, and you're, it just bypasses your brain. It's a reflex. Is the reflex of our heart one of obedience to God? When he speaks to us, are we moving even before we've had a chance to consider in the Garden of Eden, in the beginning of time, what the devil inserted into the human experience is reluctance. What, what he inserted was, was a question. He knew that if he could put a step in between hearing and obeying, he could de 
rail creation. There's a scale that's going to come on the screen that I think is an important scale for us to use throughout our lives as devoted followers of Christ. We can't wake up tomorrow and just say, I'm going to rediscover my Shema. We can't just wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to be reflexively obedient. What I would say is it's a journey and it's a process. And part of any journey and part of any process is self-examination. And this scale, we've taught it to you before. We're circling back and we're teaching to you again is an important part of the Christian experience. Every area of our life that is of significance falls on this scale somewhere. We're either completely rebellious, we're either reluctant, or we are reflexive. And that has to do with all the things that God is trying to get us to start doing. And it also includes all the things that he's trying to get us to stop doing. And in my life as a devoted follower of Christ, what it means to become like Christ, it means that my life in every area is moving and gravitating towards this place of reflexive obedience. Jesus said of himself, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He says, I only say what I hear the Father telling me to say. Jesus is the perfect example of Shema to the world. He's the perfect example of reflexive obedience, and he calls us to it. Even as he was teaching us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, in the same Sermon on the Mount, He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he talking about? He's talking about Shema. Like any home renovation, the renovation of your heart is no different. It's going to take you longer. It's going to cost you more. And it's going to be inevitably harder. If you are a homeowner, you know this is true. We call them multipliers. We say it's going to cost twice as much and it's going to take five times as long. Right, so we're coming up with our budget. We're trying to figure out how much time we're going to allot for it. Twice as much, five times as long. Renovating the heart is no different. It's going to cost us something. It's going to require effort. It's going to take longer than what we would prefer. It's going to take longer than the people around us would prefer. But my encouragement to you is you got to start renovating somewhere because Jesus' call to all of us is to a place of reflexive obedience. Listen to these verses in Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse five. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness, in an uninhabited salty land, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord. It sounds a little bit like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? And have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank. Here we see, borrowing some of the imagery of Psalm 1, one of the great Psalms written by King David, with roots that each that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And Jeremiah goes on and on. I love this imagery of the natural world that scripture so often turns to because it is a beautiful, lovely picture of Shema. No plant wakes up one day and says, I'm not doing photosynthesis today. 
No, no plant wakes up and says, that sunshine, yeah, I'm not growing towards it. I'm growing towards the shade. No, no plant just says, yeah, I'm not going to absorb that water through my roots. Right? It's reflexive. It's instinctive. One of the reasons why God keeps pointing us to this natural world, one of the reasons why Paul, when he was writing to his letter in Romans, it says that no one will have an excuse because even nature itself reveals God's glory. Part of what nature is saying to us, learn a lesson. Learn a lesson. Something inside of us should be instinctively responding to the prompting of God. And we have to learn to lay down something that we inherited from Adam and Eve, which is reluctance. Something has got to happen inside of us where we begin to drift away from choosing our own way and choosing the way of the Lord. Shema. Shema. I want the reflex of my heart. I want the reflex of your heart to be one of obedience to God. A return to Shema. We must do the hard work that transforms it from being desperately wicked to delightfully willing. Delightfully willing. And it's going to take longer and cost more and will be harder than we think. But can I just tell you it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth the journey together. One of the ways that I believe that we do this work of Shema is through some of the teaching of a Jesuit priest he lived from 1934 to 2011. He's one of the great, I believe, theological minds of our day. Let me just tell you a little bit about his life. It was in the late 1960s and early in his career, Gelpie became involved with what became known as the Catholic Charismatic Renewal Movement. And through his involvement, Gelpie encountered an emotional and a spiritual transformation characterized by a profound form of prayer and intensely deep relationship with God. He later described it as a personal Pentecost. Now there's going to be a diagram that's going to pop up on the screen, and this is going to be the diagram that we're going to be referring to throughout this series. The ideas about this, this restoration of Shema as devoted followers of Christ, becoming, becoming reflexively obedient, just like Jesus was. What we learn a little bit about in Matthew 7, 24, we want to close the distance between listening and obedience, right? We want that diamond to come together almost as a single line. This idea of living a life that when God speaks to us, we're compelled to follow and compelled to say yes. And Don Gelpie talks about five conversions of the soul or five conversions of the heart. And I'm going to introduce you to them tonight. But each week in this series, we're going to pick one of them. And I believe, and I've experienced in my own life, and some of you who've been around City Life Church long enough and have been exposed to this teaching, you've seen the result of it in your life. As, as you begin to work through these conversions, you find that something begins to happen inside of you. There is a restoration of Shema. That there is a work that takes place that transforms us, that moves us out of a place of rebellion and reluctance and into a place of reflexive obedience. Let's look at the first one together. It's called an effective conversion. This happens when a person takes personal responsibility for his or her emotional healing and development. All of us have hurts from our pasts. No matter who you are, no matter how old or how young, that there are hurts and disappointments that create, creates wounds inside of us. 
And part of our responsibility as devoted followers of Christ is to allow him to begin to walk with us in the places of our past hurts so that he can begin to bring healing to who we are. And I would argue that you can't do that work effectively unless you are part of a covenant community. Being a part of a church family like this or a church family somewhere puts you in an environment where people are for you, where people love you, where people care about you, where people are willing to walk with you as you're journeying through your healing and can share stories of their own healings, of their own past that can encourage you and sometimes even offer some welcomed words of wisdom as you begin to journey through your healing. Oftentimes those people come along beside you and pray for you. Oftentimes those people can help you get in touch with a Christian therapist if those wounds are deep enough that sometimes it takes talking with a therapist to work that out. We believe in that here at City Life Church. Effective conversion. Your, your, your Shema is never going to be fully restored unless you're willing to face the hurts of your past. Intellectual conversion. Intellectual conversion involves taking responsibility for the truth or falsity of one's beliefs by examining and testing them. All of us have false thinking that we bought into, whether we realize it or not. Can we agree on that? All of us are flawed. All of us and our own humanity, there's probably some things that we believe to be true that we've bought into that that need correcting. And can I just tell you one of the best ways for that to happen is within that covenant community to make sure it's a diverse community. If you're not building relationships with people who look differently, think differently, and vote differently than you do, you're never going to make it very far in your own journey of intellectual conversion. Have you ever stopped to notice as you read the Bible, Jesus probably spent 50% of his time correcting what people thought was real. Correcting what people thought was true. And they were convinced of it. And so are we oftentimes. Being in a covenant community that is a diverse community where people love us enough to challenge our thoughts, to challenge things that we're holding on to. You've got to be willing to walk into diverse spaces with a humble heart that says, maybe I'm the one who's wrong. Can you imagine what the world would be like if more of us postured ourselves in that way? You don't have to be afraid of those spaces. I like to tell people truth is undefeated. And if you are right and if you are not wrong, that it will bear itself out. But humility is the best posture because maybe you're the one that needs to be corrected or I'm the one that needs to be corrected. And even if we are the one that's right, guess what? Humility is what's going to draw other people to our side. Moral conversion means being responsible to cultivate habits that embody the moral virtues. I'm adding this one. This isn't part of Gelpie's definition, but I'm adding values because we teach virtues and values here at City Life that one has embraced, and to live according to a broader social responsibility. We call this being a part of a discipleship community, meaning that you are around people, a covenant community where people love you and are for you, a diverse community where people are going to challenge the way you think and the way you see the world, but it's also a discipleship community, meaning that sometimes it gets personal. 
I don't know about you, but I want people in my life who love me enough to pull me aside and say, Fred, I don't think that's right. I want people who love me enough to pull me aside and say, could I just encourage you that I don't think your attitude in that situation was best. Can I just tell you, I want people in my life who love me enough that when they see who Jesus is and the example that he provides, and then when they see me, if they see a gap, they're willing to talk to me about it. This is part of being in a discipleship community is that we lovingly encourage each other to change when there is a contradiction between something that we profess that we believe in and a behavior that is different. Virtues and values. Virtues speaking to the character of Christ and values saying what's important to us in this life. Jesus had virtue and he most certainly had values. And part of this journey as a devoted follower of Christ is bringing my life into alignment with what he valued but also becoming like him. And I'm never going to do it unless I'm around people who love me enough to talk to me about it. Oh, you ready for the next one? You're not ready for the next one. You're like, I wasn't ready for the first three. Sociopolitical conversion involves accepting responsibility to seek the good for all humans and to work strategically with others to challenge and convert the wider world as well. And we're calling this one right here, I love this one, a missional community. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church, a covenant community. I want to be a part of a church that's a discipleship community. I want to be a part of a church that is a missional community, meaning that we have this sense of purpose that God has given to us. And that sense of purpose is driven by this thing called being others-minded. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, what did he say of himself? I did not come to be served, but to serve and to offer my life as a ransom for many. What would happen in our world if people who profess faith in Christ would pivot away from asking this question of what's in it for me and pivot towards asking the question, what can I do for you? Whether it's somebody that we agree with, whether it's somebody we can relate to, what would happen in our world if every person who professes faith in Jesus Christ would begin to have a heart of empathy towards people who are hurting, what would happen if we begin to turn our thoughts and ideas and imaginations to ask the question, how can I help the hurting people who are around me? The last one is this religious conversion. It has an asterisk there because I'm giving a completely definite, well, the asterisk isn't on the, on the screen, but right after religious conversion, what, what follows next? This, this is my idea. I have some different ideas about religious conversion than Gelpie, so we're putting our own ideas in here. But it begins by making a vow of devotion to Jesus and confessing that I am at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect because Jesus paid it all. This is our statement of the gospel as a church. This is what we, we believe the gospel means. And so religious conversion matters. Religious conversion is important to us, as we're going to talk about in just a few moments together as a church. We have been given a great responsibility through what's called the Great Commandment, have we not? You thought I was going to say Great Commission, but there's two. 
The great commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said the second is like unto it, and that is to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the great commandment. And then the great commission he gives to us, right? He says to go into all the world. We're supposed to reach people with the gospel. Can we just agree that we need both of them present in our lives? You cannot fulfill the great commission without the great commandment. You can't do it. If, if you're going to give your life to trying to tell people about the gospel and how Jesus saves us, to get them to come to a place where they themselves can make this declaration, I'm at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. Can I just tell you, you're not going to be very effective without the great commandment along the way. Doing it with love and care and compassion for others. And, and can we just agree that we can't just be about the great commandment either? We, we just can't be about loving people because if we really love them, then we've got to tell them about Jesus. They both need to be present together in our lives, and they're certainly present here for us as a church. So this is the series that we're going to be challenging you with, is doing the hard work of this diagram that we're going to be showing you week in and week out. How close are those two words for you? It's a powerful question, isn't it? When you think about your life, when you think about things that God's asking of you, how far apart is listening to God and being obedient to him? Part of this journey and part of what you're going to experience here at this church is a loving biblical challenge to see the word listen and to see the word obey stop being so far apart that even in our lives they will be two sides of the same coin, a restoration of our Shema. Rebellious, reluctant, and reflexive. Rebellious, Reluctant and reflexive. A lifelong journey, a lifelong process, a lifelong project. Renovating our hearts. Somebody say hope. John 1.14 reads this way. And the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only son of from the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse teaches us about Jesus in a significant way. This word here for truth is the Greek word althea. And that's important because all truth is in Jesus, which means I must constantly examine my life in light of his. There is a standard. As we're doing this renovation, as we're working towards a goal, how many of you watch the, the renovation shows on HGTV? Anybody? Anybody watch those? We love watching those shows. Usually there is an interior decorator or an architect. Somebody comes in with a vision of what it's going to be like. And you look at the house in the state that it's in, and you're like, how on earth are they going to get this to look like that? Sometimes they've got the 3D rendering, right, where it's like you're walking through the house and they're showing you all the changes that are going to be made and the walls that are going to be taken out and the 
decorating that's going to come and the landscaping on the outside. And, and, and there's this question of how could it be? Can I just tell you, Jesus is the artistic rendering that God has given to us for how our lives are supposed to be renovated into. And it's possible. It's possible. All truth is in Jesus, which means I must constantly examine my life in light of his charis. This idea of grace matters because all grace is in Jesus, which means my ability to change depends on his power. We've got to bring effort. We've got to show up. There's things that we have to do for ourselves. He's not just going to do it for us, but we will never be able to do it without him. Jesus is constantly showing us where we fall short, not to demean us, not because he has an ego, but because he wants us to see where it is that we need to close the gap. He constantly shows us where we fall short so that he can call us to himself because he loves us, because he loves us. Listen to this story. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 10, 17 to 24. It says, Later, Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah. This is when they're about ready to install their very first king. And he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, no, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. And then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Metrites were chosen. And finally Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen among them, right, to be this nation's very first king. But when they looked for them, he had disappeared. They couldn't find him. The moment of his coronation, it says he's hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. And then Samuel said to all of the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in Israel is like him. It's fascinating, isn't it? There they found him among the baggage, hiding from his moment. There is a part of us, I get it. There is a coronation that's waiting for us, becoming more and more like Jesus. And there's a part of us that is afraid of the journey. There's a part of us that is afraid of the responsibility. There's a part of us that is afraid of the work. And we will find ourselves hiding from him. And my encouragement to you today is to trust him. No, no, no matter what kind of change he's trying to bring to your life, trust that he can help you get there. Trust that he can bring you into this place of transformation. Trust that he's able to give you the courage to forgive something that you think is unforgivable. Trust that he has the power to loose you from an addiction that you thought you would never break free from. Trust that he can restore relationships that you thought were gone forever. There is a feeling inside of us, and I hope you have it now, that just begins to stir of this idea of believing that Jesus can do everything that he says. He understands our reluctance. He understands our fear. 
He understands this, this part of our humanity that says, I'm not sure that I can do it. Can I just tell you that in and of itself is part of your Shema? That in and of itself is part of this journey as devoted followers of Christ of saying, when I hear and when I listen God speaking to me, I want the reflex of my heart to always be one and the same, which is yes, yes. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Every Saturday, we're saying this phrase to you as a church those that are here in person, those that are online, we want to say to you, welcome home. It's not welcome home in the sense that we're welcoming you to our church, although we want to do that. We, we want there to be a moment in our service where everybody gets to hear us say to you, welcome home to Jesus. We want everybody once a week to have an opportunity to hear something that we call the gospel. We believe that every person was born into this world with the same deep desire, which is to know God and to be known by him. But our dilemma is, is that we were born into this world separated from him. And even if we've lived a good life, and I believe that many of you have, all of us, as we look back over to the story of our life, we find something that we call regrets. We all find thoughts that we shouldn't have had, things that we shouldn't have done, or maybe words that should not have come out of our mouths. And those regrets, the Bible calls it sin. And in God's justice system, the smallest of sin is worthy of eternal death. And every person at some point, this life is going to come to an end for us. And we're going to stand before him and we're going to have to give an account for our lives. And it breaks our heart to think that there will be people on that day of their judgment. It will be the first time that they ever have a sense of knowing God and being known by him. We want to change that here in the 757. We want to change that here in our community and in our church. We want people to have an opportunity to hear about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he makes some pretty incredible promises to us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus says, Jesus says, he can change us on the inside. He can change us. And then he says something else that when he died on the cross for you and for me 2,000 years ago, he made possible for something called forgiveness, meaning that every regret that we have, he says, I forgive you for that. Even no matter how small or how great, Jesus says, I can forgive it. And not only did his death provide forgiveness for all the regrets that we have, how many of you know, as much as we give our lives to this work of being disciples of Jesus to see our Shema restored, can, can we just agree we're still going to make mistakes in our tomorrow? We're going to have regrets in our future. And Jesus says of those regrets that we don't even have yet, I'm willing to forgive that too. So on that day that you and I stand before him, on our day of judgment. We do not have to fear condemnation. We can step into that moment with a humble, hopeful expectation that his invitation to us is into eternal life with him. Stand with me. Whether you're in this room or watching online, we're gonna be telling that story every Saturday, finding a moment in our service to talk about what we call the gospel 
so that there's an opportunity for you to hear and in hearing you might believe and in believing you might come to your own place of confession. So as I pray, I'm going to invite you, if you've never said words like this or heard the story that I just told, you're going to, you can borrow my words and make them your own. If you're watching online and you want to pray with someone, there's a button that you can push that will take you into a private chat room with one of our hosts. For many of, it, of us in this room, we've come to a place in our own lives where we've said these things. Jesus, I believe that you are God's son, that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And so I believe today, and I make a vow of devotion to you that I'm going to live my life for you for the rest of my days. I invite you now to come in and to begin to do that work of transformation in my life, changing my heart on the inside. I accept the forgiveness that you offer. And I live the rest of my life with a hopeful expectation that on my day of judgment, there's an invitation for eternal life waiting for me. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. If you pray that, then we're going to be down here at the end of the service. We'd love to talk with you. Again, if you're online, there's a host that's waiting for you. Let's worship together.